Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hi, y'all. This is Charlie Daniels, and you're listening to Jimmy Warren. Well, all right, everybody. Welcome to Guitar Talk. I'm your host, Jimmy Warren. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you today and with my special guest, Joe Satriani. That's right. In just a few minutes, Joe Satriani is going to give us all the inside scoop into how to be an amazing guitar player. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? He's going to wave a wand, and the next thing you know, bam, you're going to be able to do it too. Well, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but one thing I know for sure is that Joe is so passionate about the guitar. He's passionate about carrying the torch and getting young people and people as people, you know, interested and involved in playing the guitar as much as possible. So his new project is a three-album uh, reissue where he went back in the studio, redid three of his albums as backing tracks, which I think is absolutely amazing because it goes back to what I just said. Now he's doing something in order to invest in other people, you know, having the ability to be able to, you know, be creative and play along. And uh, one of the things that he says in this interview that I find really fascinating is that he hopes that people will take these and give their interpretations of, you know, them in the song. And uh, I think that's really cool. You know, how would you create that song? Okay, just forget the parts that Joe played. But, you know, how would you turn that song into your song? I think that's a really fun and unique way to approach this. But at the same time, it's also equally as cool to try to play the songs like Joe, the master himself. So Joe's a super nice guy. He has a lot of great nuggets of gold, man, lined up in this uh, conversation that you're going to want to latch on to. And so without further ado, here's the one and only... Joe Satriani. I just got done talking to Andy Timmons. Oh, great. And Andy told me to tell you hello. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. He's an amazing musician. Yeah. Really well, great. I thought if there was just some way that I could have merged them two calls, man, that would have been amazing, wouldn't it have? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could have just sat back. <laughs> right? You know, uh, uh, Joe, um, you've been around a really long time and you've had an amazing career. Uh, I, I gotta want to know, um, when you first started out, did you think that you'd be where you are today? <laughs> you know, it, it's a funny thing when you're young, you're 14 years old and you start playing guitar. It's, it's mainly like, you know, uh, body and hormones and, you know, fantasy. <laughs> I mean, you really don't plan things out. Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty of youth, you know, that, that excitement, enthusiasm, one track mind kind of thing. So I didn't really think about all the details, like, yeah. you know, where I'd be living, that I would be an, a, you know, senior citizen. I'd be bald, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Married with a son, you know, I just, I hadn't thought of the, all the details of that. I just thought, 
this is going to work out. I'm going to be playing guitar in front of millions of people and it's going to be fun. And that was about the extent of it. <laughs> not, not a very intellectual outlook, but, you know, there was so much to learn that my brain was really focused on my fingers, the frets, scales, chords, getting the right sound, uh, you know, um, making those musical events with my friends because so many gigs, you know, when you're 14 years old, you're, most of the shows you do are in front of your peers, you know, so yeah. um, it's the, the social thing is very intense. So the outside world is really far away. Yeah. And like when you're 14, you're not even thinking about what 28 might be, you know, or 30, <laughs> 40, 50. <laughs> <laughs> so in those formative days, though, Joe, uh, what do you think are a couple of the things that that were a part of those formative years for you? that made you the player you are today? Oh, quite a few things. Um, you know, I started out as a drummer at nine years old, and, and my parents found a teacher, a guy that I knew as Mr. Patrikas, and he was a jazz drummer and a real jazz kind of cat, you know, uh, almost a caricature as a little kid, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, you can imagine a grown up comes in, he's wearing a shark skin suit and he spoke like what jazz people spoke like on television and movies. And, but man, could he play drums? It was just amazing how good he was. Yeah. And, uh, a bunch of things I learned, which is the importance of rhythm, uh, and what, what a real musician is like and how they embody the music, how they it completely inhabits them. I also learned that I would probably never be that good as a drummer <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't have that thing that Mr. Patrikas had, which he, he had total control over all four limbs all the time. And I was a bit kind of spastic. You know, I could focus on the hands and then the feet and then, half of the, you know, one hand and one foot, but all four at the same time was a little hard. And um, so uh, that was an important bit, you know. And then, you know, Hendrix passed away. That day I decided to be a guitarist. So it was a big, it was an important moment for me because I was so devastated that Hendrix had passed away and I was such a big Hendrix fan. Yeah. At that same time, I'm going to this little public high school on Long Island, a place called Carl Place High School. Just so happens the music teacher there is this really young Juilliard, Juilliard graduate, uh, phenomenal pianist. And, but he's, I don't know why he got stuck teaching at this little, uh, town's, uh, public high school, but th th he had a very important, um, role to play in my life as a musician because he was the one who taught me music theory. Um, in my, my last year of high school, which I, I only spent a half year uh, as a senior, there were a bunch of us, about six of us, who were able to take two subjects per day. Uh, I mean, I should say double up on our subjects so that in by the time January rolled around, they graduated us, so they get rid of us, you know. Right. Um, and uh, and so I took two music theory classes per day uh, in that you know my my final year as a senior. And uh, by the time I left high school, I had this university education in music. It was really remarkable, and it allowed me to develop. 
the part of my musicianship that was going to help the the physical parts that maybe were not going to reach virtuoso level. And this was a lesson that I learned from him. His name was Bill Westcott. And, you know, he, he took me aside. I remember when maybe I was a, in 10th or 11th grade and he said, you know, it may turn out when you're 20 that you're, you're not really that great on the guitar in terms of your fingers. But he said, don't let that stop you from developing your mind into being the best musician you know, that ever was. He said, your brain has got no barriers. Your mm-hmm. fingers, you, you know, you're it just like in sports, some people, some there's going to be someone who can run faster, jump higher, lift more weight. And he said with, you know, playing instruments is pretty much the same thing. But if, if you can compose, if you have the gift of being able to compose, then work on your head. And so I really took that lesson to heart and I developed that part of my musicianship as, and it turned into the primary thing, writing music. And and it's carried me through my life, uh, as, as the saving element of my musicianship. Yeah. The, the songs that you, that you write, um, are, are, are very diverse, you know, across albums and that. But yet, you know, there's, there's so many similarities, of course. But how, how long does it take for you or what is the process for you to, you know, to, to write a song? Because I would think after as long as you've done this, you know, that you would go, I'm starting to run out of ideas here, you know, different ways to approach this. And so, uh, well, I mean, you know, it's, I'm interested in music, so it's normal for me to sit down and be fascinated with how I can come up with um, different ways of uh, expressing a feeling with notes and rhythm. Um, you know, it's I've never lost that fascination that I had when I was a you know teenager, strumming chords and realizing that I could you know create the same effect with a different set of chords and that, you know, people would react in a special way to it. And, and, you know, um, that, that, I think it's that love and fascination that keeps me going. Um, to me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. Yeah. The trick is not to feel pressured to conform. Yeah. You know, it, it's a problem to, you know, for a professional musician, because let's say you're in a blues band, you know, your audience is only going to accept so much in terms of variation, because if it's not blues, it's not blues. And then they're not interested because they're blues fans. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in a reggae band, same thing. If, if you don't make it sound like all the other reggae music they love, then they won't listen to you because they'll determine that what you're doing is not reggae music, yeah. right? So every style of music has its uh, its open doors and its closed doors, its barriers. The fans put up fences and they say, hey, you know, this is like, you know, this is EDM, no guitar solos, please, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and certainly if you're playing in a, you know, a, ACDC cover band, there's only a certain amount of scales that, you know, the guitar player is allowed to use because then it's no, you know, if you venture too far, then, uh, you know, they'll say, Hey, don't play any of that Satriani stuff. You know, this is yeah. an ACDC band, you know, 
So, but you know, it's a, but it's important for musicians to understand the power of um, economy because the it, what what the fans are saying in a sort of a roundabout way is is that we respond to this particular style because of what you've left out. And and that's an important thing to remember, hmm. is that, you know, as a student, obviously you're, you're practicing everything every day, and so you're always dealing with an excess amount of notes and information. But in fact, your audience, the rest of the world, normal people, don't want that. They don't want everything all the time, and they're not really interested in you showing that you've practiced. They actually just want some piece of music to accompany their life that they can use during good moments, bad moments, everything in between, you know. They need a song for the when the goal is made. They need a song for birthdays and graduations. They need a song when there's a funeral. They need a song to feel you know, when they're got unrequited love, they, you know, they just need music in their life. So musicians have to understand that and, and realize that it's, it's, you know, what you leave out is just as important as what you put in there. Yeah. Um, so the, my fascination of music is based on that, is that when I go to write a song, um, you know, uh, about uh, lost love or unrequited love, you know, I shouldn't add elements of Saturday night, you know, having a party, you know, driving around town. That's not really part of the story, is it? Right. <laughs> so, and at the same, you know, and, but I could try it, you know, and it would be a, it would be a, a composer's riddle to say, how can I write a song about a guy's driving around with his friends Saturday night having a party, but actually he's not having a good time. He's in the backseat thinking about, you know, it's almost like a movie in a way you think about it, you know, yeah. layers. Uh, but music sometimes um, can only accept so much uh, in these modern days because people like stuff that's about three and a half minutes long. So yeah. your your palate is uh, limited by the industry at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, I, and uh, the... You know the the new guitar players or the new artists that are, are are coming along. Would you tell them that it would be more important for them to develop themselves as as whoever they are, uniquely as that may be, as as rather than to try to conform into a, a genre of music. In other words, yeah. you know, be more well rounded, more versatile, but yet be more individualistic. Yeah, I tell you, it's the most frustrating moment when a young player, you know, comes to an experienced, successful musician like myself and says, you know, help me, what should I do, you know, Mm -hmm. because uh, my message is mixed. It's contradictory. So I always say, well, you know, number one, every human being is only interested in an original story of life because none of us know what we're doing here and we'd really love to know. And so when someone comes along and says, Hey, this is my experience. It's unique. And it may help you understand life, you know? And, and so, but when you say that to a young person who needs a job, (laughs) they're like, Oh, come on, dude. It's like, you know, 
can I just, can you give me some advice that I can actually use? <laughs> and so I understand that because I played in cover bands for a long time. And so I know that it's actually extremely important to be able to copy other artists. So, you know, I always tell them, look, I know this is going to sound contradictory, but learn how to play like everybody else. Learn how to do it better than everybody else so that you can get that gig, whether it's, you know, be the best wedding band you know, guitar player ever, or the best session player, or, you know, the guy that gets hired to go on tour with this band and that band and that band. I said, this is important. If you cannot make a living playing music, you'll wind up having a job that'll cut in in your ability to be a musician, mm-hmm. plain and simple. I know what that's like. And so uh, it, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to discount the fact that if, you know, right now, there's one guitar player that is the most popular. You you might as well figure out how to kind of get close to what they're doing if you're a young person trying to get work because it'll help you get work. But then I say, but when you get home after work, you're going to have to say, okay, forget about all these other people I've been copying. Now I have to develop my own personal style and sound because no one will ever really appreciate me unless I come up with something original. Right. And so the two are, are at odds with each other, without a doubt. Yeah. Some people are good at it. Some people say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm either, you know, it's all about me or it's all about, you know, copying everybody else. So um, I, I've seen those two types of people when I was a teacher, and I've come across them in my years as a you know, a record-making professional entertainer that, you know, there are different types of musicians and and uh, some of them cannot w- walk in somebody else's world musically. They just can only blaze their own path, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, all kinds are needed. Like, you can't, you can't have a symphony orchestra unless you've got musicians who've decided to serve the greater purpose right which you know and and so if everyone in the in the orchestra is a soloist you actually don't have an orchestra (laughs) (laughs) so so, and and i learned that you know as a young kid being in a disco band going on the road uh, as a teenager i realized wow it's an important everybody in this band has a job it's not glamorous it's actually quite depressing but we serve a purpose because we we sit there and we play this repetitive music and people show up and they dance and they drink and they have a great time. And that's our job. It's not to, you know, to be a soloist, to say, I'm original, listen to my original music. They're like, no, that's not why they're here. They're here to dance and have fun. So, you know, musicians, I think uh, it's important for them to understand the the current job. Like what's your job right now? You know, and and don't confuse the big plan with the day to day requirements. <laughs> yeah. So, so, would you say that for yourself that 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 teacher part of who is Joe Satriani is always present? You know, because it seems to me like uh, you know you're the kind of guy from from looking from the outside that is always willing to invest in the time of other players. 
I, I really, you know, I really want to see other guitar players succeed because it's good for guitar. Yeah. Um, and um, it's, uh, and I can't help but relate to the struggle of the guitarist. You know, it's like, it's just one of those things that you, you know, you feel other guitars pain every time someone says don't play that or can you turn down <laughs> it's like what we hear for the, our entire careers you know if we're lucky enough to have one and uh you know w one of the really cool things about social media now is that you know 10 year olds and the 80 year olds from anywhere in the world can post really interesting moments on guitar um, and it's available for everybody to see and and celebrate, and they can be applauded and and validated by their community. Whereas before, you really were all by yourself, you know. Before there was the social media thing going on, and um, but I think that that um, it once the social media thing exploded, I realized that this would be a great tool to shine to to help shine a light on some of these other players that you think should be recognized for their talents, their originality. Yeah. Um, There's so many, so, good, so many, good I, I guess I can't help that. You know, and the fact that I was a young kid when I started teaching and it just seemed like the right thing to do, which was to always help your, your fellow player, no matter what. Yeah. So is that, is that part of the reason for the, the new project? the uh, backing track, the stripped X3? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, for years, I hated the idea of putting out backing tracks. And it was mainly because I I felt like that's where, you know, I spend most of the budget is actually creating the bass and the drums and the keyboards and all the rhythm guitars. It takes forever. And then you got to pay lots of people. And, yeah. you know, you got to rent a location to get the drums right. And, and then the fact that, you know, you put them out there and you don't sell a lot of them, uh, you know, they don't wind up on the radio or something like that. So so the sales are, are you know, built in are going to be really low and then they get copied and passed around. And I thought this is like totally upside down. This is like yeah. totally crazy. And then at one point I thought, all right, I, I, I want to take a different approach to this because – of what I said before, which is now there's a format, which is the internet, mm -hmm. which is social media, where the music can, the backing tracks can actually help. And, and I thought, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's figure out a way to release these backing tracks where we can actually, um, you know, use them as a vehicle to shine a light on some other people. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a kind of a weird you know, backdoor way of doing it, but I, it, I was able to make peace with myself, <laughs> you know, by, by thinking of it that way. So, um, it's funny, my, my, uh, you know, my team, my managers and, and my webmaster had come to me with this idea and they said, look, we, you know, I know, you know, you want to put out these backing tracks and, and we've contacted some of your famous friends to do some stuff. And I said, well, you know, I'm only going to do this if you also invite people that are, you know, trying to break into the music scene, people that maybe are completely unknown. 
I said that to me, that's the only way it's going to make sense is to make it democratic, you know. Yeah. So, yes, Steve Vai and, and Phil Collin, absolutely, you know, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, Travis White and Alyssa Day and, and you know, people who are you know, kind of unknown, you know, uh, but are also really amazing and totally different from each other, you know. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I was, I was really it, really happy about that. You know, we, we probably won't make any money. You know, we'll break even. But the, the, the product is beautiful and it sounds great. And I think it did its thing, its trick, which was to to shine a light on some other players and also to, to show people out there that there's it's important to – Sometimes to, to as a player, I think to to learn somebody else's song and then try to do something different on it and see how difficult it really is. Yeah, you know, and it, it's kind of like you know. Last year I was on tour doing uh, the Experience Hendrix tour. We did two tours, and uh, you know, the one thing that you learn when you go to cover another great musician's material is that it's impossible to recreate their brilliance. Yeah, it's just impossible. You know, so so. You, you have to accept it, and then you have to go, now, how can I, you know, try to create my own kind of brilliance, you know? So what, you know, how do I inhabit this music but somehow become original? And working with Strip Times 3 is the same kind of thing for a student. If I was teaching now, that's what I would say. I'd say, go out, get the Strip Times 3 thing, and let's see what you would do. That's different from what Joe did. And let's see if you can accomplish the same amount of originality. And in a way, it's a, it's a really great learning tool. Yeah. Like, you know, not everyone can go on an experienced Hendrix tour like me. Yeah. But, you know, that was that was my uh, moment of being a student again, you know, is being on stage every night playing a song that everyone knows inside out for the last 60 years and trying to make it sound original. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, uh, tough, yeah, tough work. I was, I was actually at the uh, the experience in, in Chicago at the theater, Chicago Theater. Oh, great! Yeah, you guys did a great job. Yeah, yeah. Also, I really enjoyed G three this year with uh, uh, the the guy from Def Leppard's. Uh, yeah, Phil, Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Yeah, yeah. He just had a birthday. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was kind of a a, a, a different move, a unique change. You know, especially. You know, since he had a, a vocalist with him, I thought that was, uh, you know, it actually kind of broke things up a little bit, which was which was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's always, you know, um, during the years when we've done G3s, um, almost always there's somebody who's, who's a vocalist or has a vocalist in the band. You know, yeah. we started that way uh, when we had Kenny Wayne Shepherd out with us um and uh it you know paul gilbert uh, along the way um uh, other artists like eric johnson of course uh, half the time he's singing uh, so um it's it wasn't that unusual but um mm -hmm. phil is a gr uh, just a superior musician uh and uh the what the experience that he brought you know being a musician who's played stadiums and just made some unbelievably well-received, brilliant, uh, multi-platinum-selling albums. Uh, it, it the, you know, his sensibility is quite unique. It's very different from you know the woodshedding, uh, 
guitar player, you know, who's known for their brilliance, but maybe not their album sales. <laughs> um, yeah, but that sort of diversity has always made the G3 so much fun, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I've, I, I don't know. I think I've seen, I don't know, six or seven of the G3s. Uh, the only one I wish that would have been in America or that would have been in Chicago was the one with Steve Lukather. Yeah, <laughs> he's a, he's an amazing player and a super nice guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We'd we'd love to do more of those. You know, that would be just great. Steve is such a great musician, really great. Yeah. So, uh, uh, with this project right here, what's the next step for you? You got a, a new album coming out? Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure every interview you do is, you know, partly based on how weird 2020 has been. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we released an album April 10th, uh, called Shapeshifting. Right. Um, it has been the weirdest experience because, you know, the, the album got great reviews, my highest chart position, and it has been so frustrating not to be on stage celebrating it around the world. Yeah. That's <laughs> so weird, but I'm, you know, I'm like with everybody else, every musician is having the same nightmare, you know? So, uh, but uh, I immediately started writing new music and recording. Um, very interesting, uh, because I had a band that was just like days away from getting together to rehearse. We were kind of primed to play and then, uh, stop. So basically, I've written an instrumental album, uh, and uh, we're we're I'd say more than halfway through finishing it. That'll be released uh, next year. And then uh, I was writing uh, a second um, part to that. That was a vocal album uh, because the, our keyboard player Ray Thistlethwaite from Australia is a really great singer. Um, but about halfway through, I started working on an acoustic American style album with my, uh, Satch Tunes writing partner. And this, I know this ex needs some explanations, but Satch Tunes is a, a company I formed with fellow guitar player Ned Evett. And, and we basically create science fiction stories. Um, and we've been working on this one thing called Crystal Planet that's coming out as a graphic novel. Uh, next year um, through the Incendium uh, uh, company. And um, that that whole press thing starts up in about uh, March, I think, January or February, March. Um, that's a whole other interview, that whole thing. But, um, uh, you know, the fact that we're both guitar players making albums and then we, we work on this sci-fi stuff on the side, um, I got it in my mind because I was playing a lot of acoustic um that we should work on an album together because we had never done that, even though we've been writing stories together all these years. So we now have a 12 song acoustic album. Um, that's all vocal. And, uh, so, uh, but typical for 2020 is everyone scratching their head. Like, well, what do I do with this? You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. it's not like we're Taylor Swift and we can just, release things at will and get worldwide attention. So um, doing things through the proper channels set up through, you know, a uh, proper setup is something that's still a very important thing for us. So it, it would appear that 2021 will be a, a year of some very interesting releases and maybe even some performances 
live maybe later in the year if things go well for the vaccine. Yeah, I, I know some guys have uh, tentatively, you know, started rebooking tours and stuff for the summer and that. Uh, are you the same way? I, I, I thought I saw, you know, them with some stuff in Europe. Well, I think, um, you know, we generally were set up to do spring in Europe and fall in North America. And although we had a South America run in the middle of the summer, it was kind of short, uh, whereas the other ones were really big two month plus runs. Um, so, um, you know, the, the European thing is, it's funny to talk about because, um, there's, there's a protocol to who can say something is canceled <laughs> yeah. before somebody else can. So, you know, last, you know, early this year, I was advised to, you know, not say much until, you know, for instance, the French government decided to, uh, step in and stop the venues from suing the promoters. Um, you know, and it all, so the promoters were calling saying, please, whatever you say, don't say that you're not coming. You know, you have to wait until these other things happen. So, um, but obviously it's not happening, (laughs) even though we rebooked it, uh, the same and, and all tickets are validated. I don't see how that is going to happen, but you didn't hear it from me. (laughs) Um, I do know also that the, the U.S. dates that were booked for uh, just this recent fall period um, were also rebooked for the exact same dates, exact same venue, but no one is supposed to talk about it. Yeah, um, It's just too crazy between the virus and the election, and nobody knows what's going on with anything. Yeah. Um, so the only thing you can depend on, I think, is Amazon delivering your package. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you know things are tipsy turvy and upside down when Steve I has a mustache. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the barometer. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how I one. gauge everything. Does Steve have a mustache? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, Joe. Um, I appreciate the time that you've given me. You know, I, I I hate to say this, you know, because I, I've been somebody, I've been on the radio, you know, for a number of years, and I toured with some people like Chaka Khan and Gladys Knight and other people like that, but uh, I've always been a huge fan, always been a huge fan. You've been a huge influence, not only to me, but to a lot of people I know that are guitar players, and, um, you know, we appreciate everything that you do we really do and uh i think the whole backing track thing is genius i think it gets people involved you know uh far even beyond the the friends and the the relationships that you have there's going to be so many people so many guitar players out there all across the world you know that are going to get this thing and they're going to be uh playing to those tracks you know like they already do they probably download them now you know, off of YouTube or, or wherever yeah. and play to them in that. But, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. You know, I really do. And I just wish you all the success in the world, my friend. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's been great to talk to you, Jimmy. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. Have a great day.
Well, okay, there you have it, everybody. The one and only Joe Satriani. You know, I want to thank Joe so much for taking time out of his busy schedule to spend a little bit of it with me and you talking about the guitar and his projects and his music and everything else. It was such an absolute pleasure. Of course, you know, make sure that you're uh, staying abreast of what Joe is doing and what's going on. And because I know once things open, you know that guy, man, he is busy, busy, busy. Tour, 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 man. And so uh, there's a lot of great stuff in store. So once again, thanks to uh, Joe Satriani for joining us today. Now, we turn our attention to a special episode that we're going to do this Friday on the 27th. That's because there's a big announcement coming out that day. And so joining me on Guitar Talk is Jared James Nichols. Yeah, you heard me right. Jared James Nichols is joining us on Friday, this Friday on the 27th of January, because he has a huge announcement that he is uh, bringing out there. And I think, you know, you're a player. You're going to love this. You're absolutely going to love it. And so it was a great uh, conversation with Jared. It was a video conversation, which is even cooler because he has his guitar and he plays a little bit. And, you know, how animated he is. It's it's always a treat. So Jared James Nichols will be joining us on Friday, the 27th, for a special edition and a big announcement on his end of things. You know, I really appreciate the support for Guitar Talk. We appreciate you tuning in. Please do us a favor. Make sure that you're following me, Jimmy Warren, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, Jimmy Warren Official, uh, Jimmy Warren Radio on Facebook, and, uh, of course, our YouTube channel at Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. We are also now on Patreon. You can support us financially every month, keep the show uh, going, keep the guests piling up. And uh, there's a lot of cool things that you can get for participating in that, you know, including one-on-one sessions with me every month in order to chat about anything you want to chat about, whether it's guitar or, I mean, it could be baking. I'm not much, you know, and I mean, I could do a baked potato maybe, (laughs) but but anyway, thank you so much uh, for tuning in, and uh, make sure you join me this Friday, the 27th, with Jared James Nichols. Y'all have a safe three days. 